Leviticus chapter 8. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and take the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and two rams and the basket of unleavened bread. And assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses uh, brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastplate on him, and in the breastplate he put the urim and the thummim, and he set the turban on his head, and on the turban in front he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Believe it or not, as one campus minister has said, this is God's Word. And um, let's uh, pray and ask God to help us to understand it. Our Father in Heaven, uh, You have said that Your Word uh, does not fail. It does not wither. Uh, It is uh, unlike the grass that most certainly does. Uh, And we ask that You would teach us tonight by Your Spirit from this Word, Lord. Please help us to understand. Would you incline our hearts to your word that we might know you and that we might know it? And Lord, would you please grant faith? Would you grant us belief in you even tonight as we listen? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, um, I don't know what you uh, are meant to do with your life, uh, but I do have a question for you. Given who you are, what are you meant to do? Uh, it's a big question for sure, and it was back in. Uh, it was a big question for over two hundred thousand people back in April of two thousand thirteen. At that time, this sum of people applied to be part of something absolutely historic, something they believed worth giving themselves to. And recently, that number of two hundred thousand has been shaved down to six hundred people, all of whom view the mission that they would be giving themselves to worthy of giving their very lives to. Well, what is it? It is to be one of the first four people to colonize human life on the planet Mars. Yes, you heard that right. In 2024, the agency known as Mars One will begin to put people on the red planet. The downside... These four people will never return. They may, in fact, die on the journey there. But if they make it, they will certainly die there. One applicant, a scientist from the UK, his name is Ryan, he says this, quote, I think the most important thing in life is to leave a legacy. For me, this would be my legacy, to find life on Mars. A task, he believes, that he was made to do. A love for science, for the stars. He believes that he is made to make this mission happen. And given who he is, he gives himself to it. A mission he believes is worth committing his life and his death to. Who he is directs, therefore, what is to be done. His identity drives his mission. Why share this story with you? Well, it is to put before you a very important question that I think all of us deal with. Given who you are, what are you meant to? To do. Every single college student is wrestling with this question. Why? Here you go. You come to college 
to figure out who you are. You come to college to find out your skills. Are you good at math? Are you a people person? Do you like numbers or do you like ideas? And all of these questions are meant to further you in the course of your life. To find out what you are to do, you have to know who you are. And if I press it further, ready? Knowing who you are, how then will you live your life? Knowing who you are, how will you live? You see, even at TCU, identity drives mission. Well, not only do Ryan and TCU know this, but surprisingly enough, so does the book of Leviticus. In fact, the whole Bible does, really. You see, one of the constant themes throughout all of the Scriptures is because you are this sort of people, this is the mission that you are meant to be on. Since this is who you are, therefore, go live this way. And even here in Leviticus, we see the connection being highlighted. Leviticus chapter 8 is about the installation of the Old Testament priesthood. You saw that from what we just read. And having laid out the sacrifices in the first seven chapters of the book, we now read of the people who can perform and direct in this worship. But who were they, these priests? And what were they meant to do? Well, I think it would be real easy as Christians to kind of say this. Well, we don't have those sacrifices anymore. We don't have to go to the temple anymore. So why would we even care about the people who were to offer them up? It seems quite irrelevant. But I want you to see that Leviticus is full of, as we've talked about before, shadows, pointers, road signs directing us to something greater. And we need to understand those signs if we're to understand how we're meant to live. In other words, Leviticus 8, while about the priesthood, is absolutely connected with your life today. And if you are a Christian, believe it or not, how you are meant to live your life. Let me put it more bluntly. If you are a Christian, and you want to know the answer to this question, what is my life supposed to be about? You simply cannot answer that question without understanding Leviticus chapter 8. It's imperative. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at it tonight under three major headings. The first is the old priesthood. The second heading is this idea of the high priest. And then thirdly, the idea of the new priesthood. So the old, the high, and the new. That's what we're looking at, okay? So first of all, let's take a look. The idea of this old priesthood. So we need to start with what the Old Testament priesthood actually was. What it did and so on. And so now this uh, might be where you want to pull out your phones and uh, get on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, but I'm asking you to please give me your attention for the next three or four minutes so that you'll actually understand what the rest of the uh, sermon tonight is going to be about. Leviticus 8 shows us the installation of the priesthood. Now remember with me, right? Remember, we have said all along in the book of Leviticus, the question is, how in the world can a holy God live with this people, this sinful bunch of people? And we have said that it's Leviticus that answers that question. So therefore, we remember that sin was a very real problem that had to be dealt with. So we've said earlier that the sacrifices were given to help deal with that. So who were these priests and what what did they do? Well, very simply, the text says there in verse 8.1, did you see it 
Uh, yeah, there it is up there. Take Aaron and his sons. Aaron uh, was Moses' brother in his line, what were referred to as the priests. And what did they do? Well, they were actually to do the work of dealing with sin. They were the ones to help make atonement by offering up worship to God to help deal with the problems that Israel was having. You see, and here's the thing. Um, they uh, and they alone were the only people to be able to do it. That's all that could do it. Nobody else could. Only the priests. So it's a little bit different than our world today where you can come in here and you can go to worship and you don't have any problems. You would never have done that in the Old Testament times. You always would have gone... Some, you needed somebody to go before you. And the ancient Israelite would have said, we don't go to the temple. We don't dare make a sacrifice without somebody going and doing it for us. And it was the priests that did it. Secondly, priests, therefore, represented the people before God. The priest was to bring the people's sacrifices to God. They prayed for the people. And anything that the people wanted to offer to God, they were the ones who presented it. And therefore, worship couldn't happen without it. But I also want to say this. Not only did they represent the people to God, they had the dual function of representing God to the people. In other words, they took all that God's grace and blessings uh, were, that were meant for the people and they pronounced it over them and gave them that and reminded them. How? Well, by instructing them in God's Word, by leading them in worship, by helping them to live wisely before God. And when these people failed, they were the ones that reminded them of His free grace. It is free and infinite grace that comes to sinners. Therefore, the priests were seen as a rich blessing. They were the ones who actually helped God's people live as they were meant to live. This was part of their mission. Reminding the people of God's grace for their good. Now, how in the world would this even matter or be applicable to us today? Well, I think a couple of reasons. First of all, I simply want to say this. That... If we were to look today how we relate to the priests or what was actually going on there, we would, have to, we would say that the vast majority of you simply are never going to be able to relate to what they do. There's probably one... I, I'm the only person in the room that can relate to this sort of work. Because the modern New Testament equivalent of the priests are what the church calls their pastors and elders. And so what that means for you is this. Much like the people needed somebody to spiritually lead them, hang with me, put your guns away for just a second, this text is telling you that you need spiritual leadership too. That you need people in your life that will care for your souls. That will pray for you. That will watch over you and give their lives for you. In other words, this. The idea of a Christian being somebody that sets out to do their own thing in their own way is entirely unknown in the Bible. And what that means is, is that you actually need people in your life to shepherd and to instruct you. You need people in your life to care for you. And here's the thing. It's not just because God said so and He'll be mad at you if you don't do that. No, no, no. 
That's not my point. I'm saying you won't flourish without it. That's what this text is telling us. You will not be who God has made you to be without somebody in your life shepherding you, caring for you. That's what this text is about. So I just want to simply put it before you. If you are a Christian on the college campus, the motif, the the air that we breathe is this. Do it your own way and buck institution. Buck the institutional church. I don't need it. Well, I'm here to tell you. That's not Bible. And I urge you to begin to think about how that might be applicable to you in your life even now. You say, well, Ryan, you don't know how bad my church was. You don't know. I don't. But listen, the misabuse, the misuse or abuse of something, the bad expression of something doesn't negate its proper use. It never does. Ever. And so we obviously want to come back and say, how in the world would this have uh, instruct us? Listen, the Bible is very clear. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but look what the book of Hebrews says this. Ready? It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And that assumes that somebody's going to actually be doing that for you. Do you have that in your life? College is a time where we want to pull away from that. And I'm saying, let's be men and women that push into it. It's for our good. It's for our good. Um, let's keep moving. Well, what in general then, um, what in general did the group of Old Testament priests do? They went as go-betweens between God and the people. They, were, uh, they, they, they um, represented God to the people and they represented the people to God. But there was a special priest. There was a special type of priest And this special priest was called the high priest. And what he did is huge for our understanding of identity and mission. So let's take a look, secondly, at this idea of the high priest. Aaron himself, in our text, was the high priest. He was the one that was set apart out of the whole bunch of priests that would have been existing. And once a year, this special high priest would go into the holiest of holies in the temple to make sacrifice for the people. Now, hang with me on this. Um, He alone would do this one day a year, the day called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, where he would go in and he would represent the sins of the people, the corporate people, and he would go in and make atonement by offering up sacrifice before the Lord. No one else did it. No one else was allowed to do it. If they did, it was an imminent death to be sure. And you may begin to think, what is the point of this? Ryan, I get it. It seems too archaic. In fact, it seems really, really boring. So what's the point? Do we really need to be talking about priests? Is this really relevant at all? Do we really need people to go make right our flaws? I just want to say this. You tell me. You tell me. Listen, I was talking with a student about this just this morning. Uh, it is a phenomenon that another campus minister told me about. Tell me if it fits. Have you ever noticed that when you view your Instagram feed, that the pics are always perfect? You know what? If, uh, if you know how to use angles just right, you can angle your body ever so perfectly with your shoulders at the exact same angle to the camera to make you look slimmer and to hide all of your flaws. And you know I'm talking about. 
And so I just simply want to ask you, you tell me, why are you doing that? And here's what it is. You can't stand the thought of actually being seen for who you really are. You can't deal with your flaws. And you need somebody to cover you. And what, the, and what this is saying is this, that deep down we can't bear the thought of being seen as we really are. We need to cover up our flaws, not only externally but interiorly as well. I mean, how many of you guys have stuff that if you were to actually have it exposed would be the death of you? If folks knew what was really going on in your heart and life, they would look at you and say, I, you would feel like, I mean, it might as well just somebody pull the shower curtain back because that's how exposed I would feel. The high priest goes into the Holy of Holies. He makes atonement for sin. He pays for it. And in so doing, he covers all of our flaws. The great high priest is important here because what happens is that when this is exposed, when you are exposed, when you are exposed before the God of the universe, who will cover you then? You will be left naked without cover. And guess what? The great high priest covers you. That is why the reason that we see in the New Testament that we have a great high priest that has come once and for all to cover us, to deal with all our flaws. Listen to what the book of Hebrews chapter 7 says. It says that Jesus has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for His own sin, and then for those the other people. Here it is, ready? Since He did this once for all, when He offered up Himself. Put simply, all the Old Testament priests pointed forward to the day when the true high priest, Jesus, would come and make atonement for the sins of His people. This means, y'all listen, this is the best news you're going to hear tonight. That Christ has paid in full for the totality of your sins. Past, present, and even future. The ones that you don't even know about yet. Jesus took them on the cross and paid for them now. And in so doing, guess what? It was like, boom! The Old Testament priesthood was shut down immediately. Why? Because it wasn't needed anymore. If there's no more sin to pay for... The system is not needed. Jesus comes and shuts the whole operation down because He is our great high priest. Listen, y'all. Do you know what this means tonight? This means that you now have somebody that can look at you and look at the deepest parts of you, the ugliest spots about you, and say, it's taken care of. The things that you hate about yourself... Jesus says, I've got it. I've paid for it. There is newness with you. There is freedom with you now. This means that you now have the eye of the Heavenly Father calling you His son or His daughter. When He looks at you, the, high, the Father sees the high priest, Jesus Himself, before us. And, uh, and it is Him that He looks at and not our flaws. Listen, this is what this means. That Jesus as our High Priest has spoken the final word, therefore, listen, about who you are. He defines us. 
He names us because of His death for us. We are called the beloved of God. We're called His workmanship. We're called a beautiful bride. We're called a cherished son or daughter. We're called His precious lambs. That is who you are. And that matters everything for where we're going next. Because unless you know who you are, you don't know how to live. So I ask you, right, given who you are, how will you now live? What is your life meant to be about? And that takes us lastly to this idea of the new priesthood. If the book of Hebrews is right, and I most certainly believe that it is, the Bible tells us uh, and, and, and it instructs us that there's actually a new understanding about what the priesthood actually is for us. So yes, it's still relevant. It still matters. In fact, the old news is really, I mean the new news is really just something old. In the book of Exodus, you read this. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. Moses calls his people this. Ready? You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Get that. God looks at his people, the whole lot of them, and he says, you all are priests. Every single one of you. Yes, there's a special class, Aaron and his sons, called priests that work in the temple. But every single one of you is a priest. Every single one of you is. And you go, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Turn to the New Testament. Peter picks up the exact same language in chapter 2, verse 9 of his first letter where he says this, but you, talking about you if you were a Christian, you were a chosen race. Here it is, ready? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, this means two incredibly important things. That if you are a Christian, the Bible puts you into a community called the church and calls all of us a royal priesthood. This is our identity. This is who we are. And therefore, if that's who we are, our life finds its pattern from the way the Old Testament priests did their life. And what was it? Here it is, y'all. It was to be a go-between between God and the world. To be God in the world. Therefore, our calling is to be a blessing to the world. It's our job to go out and to serve, to give our lives away in the name of the King, to present its needs, its requests to the world. Do you pray for the world around you? Do you take its needs seriously before God? You are a priest. This is your calling. This is your mission to Mars, so to speak. But it's not only that. Here's what else it is. You are also given the extremely high privilege of taking the grace of God to the world around you. It is your role to share in the staggering plan that God has come to put back together this broken world. He has enacted a plan to put it back together by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the brokenness that was brought about by our sin and rebellion has a final cure that it will one day be made whole again. You have a responsibility to the world to make it flourish. To, 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 to show people the actual king. This is your calling. This is your mission. In other words, being a priest is an incredibly missional calling. Not just for those inside the church, but for those outside of it too. Meaning not just to those inside the church, but to those outside of it as well. One author put it great when he said this. Listen. 
He said that every Christian is someone else's priest. And we are all priests to one another. Do you view your life as priestly? If you look around your campus, your fraternity house, your dorm, your department, your hall, the club that you're in, wherever God has you, and you were to ask, you were to be asked, what are you to do here? How would you answer that? What does it look like for you to be a blessing to the people that you were around? I think one of the major ways that we think about this is through our work. Y'all know that your work is incredibly holy enterprise. That what you're being trained for is to go out and make the world a wonderfully beautiful place. The only type of work for you if you're a Christian is not missionary or pastor. It can actually be doctor. It can be engineer. It can be artist. Your work is to be a blessing to the world around you. I want to say this, and then I'm going to shut up. Um, One of the greatest cancers in Christianity is a consumeristic Christianity. It takes the form of Christianity for me. It never seeks to serve. It never gives its life away. It consumes, but it never gives. And I just want to say this. If you are a Christian, how are you, one, noticing this tendency in your own life to consume, to not serve? And secondly, where are you currently giving your life away for the good of those around you? Is it costing you anything to be a Christian? That's a huge question that you have to wrestle with if you are one. This is imperative. Are you living on mission? That is who you are. Deep within you, built in your spiritual DNA, is to give your life away and you will not be happy until you do. I'm telling you. That's the way it goes, y'all. You will find your happiness not in keeping your life, but in giving it away. That's how you're made. That's what it means to be a Christian. I simply want to say, put that before you. Have you forgotten who you are? You are the beloved of the King. And now therefore you are freed to give your life away. One very famous pastor, John Piper, wrote these words when he said this, that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church but that worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is what is ultimate. That means this. God's great plan for the history of the world is to make a people from every nation, tribe, race, and people group who are bent on delighting in Him, who find their happiness in Him. They look to Him and say, He is my greatest joy. He is my highest good. I want Him and nothing else as supreme in my life. And as it presently stands, this worship does not exist in every corner of the earth. So because it doesn't, therefore, mission does. Who will go to ensure, therefore, that this worship will actually take place? Are you ready? You. Because you're priests. And it's your job to make the world sing. It's your job to be the one who brings the blessings of God to the world around it and to intercede, therefore, for the world around it. That's what the Bible calls the priesthood of all believers. You and me. And how will we do this? By seeing this that the great high priest has first done that for us. He is the one who has come. 
He is the one that has served. He is the one that has interceded for us, laying down His very life so that we don't have to. And so I urge you, is your faith cold? Are you spiritually dead inside tonight? Well, look. Look to Jesus. He has died for cold-hearted people, you know. You see, do you have a Christianity that actually says, my God knows how to deal with my indifference. He can take care of that. That's what Christianity gives us. He has died for train wrecks, y'all. For drunks. For people like you and for me. Right? The most scandalous of people. And this also that you and me might taste of the infinite sweetness of the grace of God. He is our great priest once and for all that we might be His. So, who are you? And what are you meant to be? How are you meant to live? Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we ask that You would take these things and make them real in our hearts. We pray that You would... uh, Help us now to sing of Your mercy and Your grace. Help us, Lord, to know who we are. Help us, Lord, to live on mission in light of that as priests unto You. As those who seek the good of the world, who exist for the good of the world around us, for the good of TCU's campus. Would You help us to live that way? We lift this all up in Your name, O Lord. Amen.